Jaime, as usual, <laughs> you have stolen my pick of the week. Oh, really? What was that? Crossy Road, man. I love that game. Oh, you mean the pick of the week? Yeah, pick of the oh, week, yeah. Well, no, you know what? I've been seeing I've been seeing a lot of screenshots from that recently, so that definitely is something... Uh, I can't fathom. Yeah. Like, you should be downloading that immediately, because it's so good. Oh, it's such a good really? game. It's exactly... Mm. It's right up my alley. It's, like, um, quick and easy, and... Yeah, what? Hey, what's Peggle? I keep hearing, keep seeing Peggle today, too. Is. Some sort of game. Um, I'm a little unclear... It took me a while to realize that it was a video game of some sort, I think. Well, I think it's a game, too. And, and Brianna actually tweeted something about it today, about the fact that she, she was really liked it until she saw the in-app purchase uh, you know, menu, mm-hmm. right? And then, then her heart fell. And she, caught, and she toined, turned, coined a new phrase, which I thought was interesting. She said it got candy crushed. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I don't even know. Which I think we should make it a thing, candy crushed. Well, it's like being, being uh, Sherlock, right? Um. Yeah. Um, hey everyone, okay. I'm Tim Mitra, and you're listening to the More Than Just Code podcast. Actually, aren't you Aaron Bay? No. And there's no reason why you couldn't do the the opening. No, no. It's everyone expects your smooth, sultry voice. <laughs> so okay. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, and I am joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hey there. And I am also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm joined by Mark, insert pause here, Ruben in... in San Jose, California. San Jose, California. Hey, Hey, Mark. Hey, everybody. All right. So uh, we have some follow-up items from last couple of episodes, I guess. Uh, We've been talking uh, quite a bit about uh, the whole interview process for iOS developers. Um, By the way, I I did speak to a... um, one of our fans uh, yesterday, actually, and he was telling me he really loves the show and he loves the content and, and you know, he listens to us on his commute to and from wherever he works. He's working in Atlanta and he lives in somewhere else, like miles away. Um, but yeah, he was telling me that he loves the content. So, so kudos to you guys for keeping it real, keeping it up there. Um, yeah, so we were talking about uh, hiring processes and hiring practices and, and Jaime introduced a couple of... Um, Articles, blog posts that he found on um, pieces. I guess the first one's from Model View Culture on We Hire the Best. Take it away, Jaime. Yeah, so this one's pretty fresh. It's within the last 10 days. And it really kind of nails down, I think, a few of the things we said where you can claim that you're trying to hire the best, but what you're really doing is, you know, you're hiring the best available, mm, right? Some right. people just simply won't move. Uh, either you know literally moving you know cross country or internationally, or perhaps they don't want to move out of their job because they just really love what they do. Or mm-hmm. uh, as in many cases, uh, let's say like disproportionately with with women, for example, they might have other aspects to worry about, like a partner's career or some sort of family member, healthcare needs. And on top of that is layered this whole thing of like, well, you know, if you're consciously targeting people like oh well clearly the best people already have jobs so let's try to go (laughs) try to convince people to come it's like well okay now you're self-selecting and even adding more bias around um certain universities that people have gone to or certain companies that people work at Mm -hmm. um and it really really just ends up with a whole bunch of uniformity and sameness and lack of diversity yeah, I think I think it just was that that they're they're claiming to hire the top one percent out of the top ninety nine percent that are out there, but I guess the 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 where they fall down on is the fact that, uh, or or what this article talks about is that uh, they can't possibly be hiring the top one top employees out there because they're already working, they're not looking, they're not on the market, right? So, you know, so um, I mean, because they're not calling us. What does the best even mean? I love the word the best. We want the, you know, and I just heard it from a recruiter today, which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want to hire the best programmer. And I, I asked her, I said, how, how are you going to know that, who the best programmer is? How are you going to know I'm the best? Mm-hmm. And she said, we're going to look at your code. And is, is that really the only way to know that no, I'm the best? No, definitely not. It, no. It's a way. I, I agree. It's definitely a strong signal 
to determine. But, you know, like, let's first lay aside the word the best and and just unpack that for a second because that means only one person fits that description. Mm, okay? True. So the, Semantics. The, yeah. You know, well, I am a nerd. So how, how do you, how do you <laughs> even define that? And, like, so give your head a shake first off and, and just set that term down the best. We want to hire someone who's really good. Okay? Right. We want to hire someone who's a good fit for this role, who knows their stuff, and and can effectively do the job that we have in mind for them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think if if people approached that hiring process with that kind of rationality, we'd all be so much farther ahead than we are right now. Actually, um, kind of teased the recruiter a little bit. I couldn't help myself. Uh, <laughs> I said, so the best, you know, are you, are you thinking like rock stars and ninjas, you know, like to get mm. up on stage with nunchucks and stuff? And, and she said, actually, we don't use those terms anymore because um, I think the, the news has gotten out about rock stars and ninjas. And I think everybody gets it now that we don't really want people like that. And we don't want to use those terms. But uh, the, best, oh, the rock star ninja terms, yes, but they yes. still want to hire the best. They though. still want the best. So, right. right. Um, that's just one of those things that I, it's, it's, you know, it's language and, you know, we might all focus, it seems too much on language, but I think language defines the patterns in which we think. And when you have that sort of, you know, backing store in your head that, that spits out words like the best, it, mm-hmm. it, it defines the way that you um, are looking for someone to fill a role and it sets this impossible goal that, not only like makes it very difficult for them to find the right person, but makes it very difficult for you to explain to them why you actually might be decent for that role. Right, right. And keeping in what I said last week about the fact that most developers don't even know how to sell themselves, never mind, you know, convince someone that they're they're the best. And and a lot of people don't like to blow their own horn anyway. No right? so. kidding. Yeah. Well and it's mm-hmm. you know, some of the, like this, um, the first piece that Jaime posted here, uh, the model view culture, uh, is written from the perspective of a woman again. And we, we had this talk last week. Uh, mm-hmm. this time we at least have, uh, a name to attach Kate Houston. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's Huston. Hmm? <laughs> mm. Um, the point being is that, um, all of these terms and this way of thinking makes it difficult for women to break into the field. And like we've said That's last true. week, Again, there's there's no shortage of issues that affect women, but also again, I'll point out that that it doesn't just affect women; it affects all kinds of people, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and yes, also women. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a whole, like you said, there's a whole different set of problems that go along with with, uh, with the gender question, which I don't think we're going to go into right now. But um, yeah, and and the reality is, I think it's, it's tough for for a guy out there, especially a nerd guy out there, to be out there presenting himself, trying to put his best best foot forward. And you know, even if even if he is the best, I mean, it's just in the in the nerd culture to to not think you're the best. You know, there's we know who the best is, and he's working in Amsterdam, right? You know, uh, yes. <laughs> Are you, you are thinking of someone in particular. I think you're thinking of someone in particular. Are you? Oh, definitely. I'm the most dangerous programmer in the world. Exactly. Oh, oh, he's the, yes. he's yes, uh, that guy. Can we say his name? No. Oh, because then he might come and get us and kill us. No, with no, his he's stare. A nice, he's an he's a nice guy, but but yeah, yeah. He, he, okay. he has got a, he's got a pretty good decent stare. That's true. It's true. He's um, a bear of a man. Okay, mm-hmm. I know who you mean. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I don't want to diminish the, the issues that women have here, and, and I think um, you know a naive listener might think that you were there, Tim, and I don't, I don't think that you meant to do that. But to do what? Sorry? To diminish the role, the, the issue that women have. Oh no, no, definitely not. Because no, I, I, you know, yeah. I think that in a lot of ways, as a as a white male, I do have it a lot easier than others uh, in getting mm-hmm, a job. Mm-hmm. Like I had an interview on Monday where I think I knocked it out of the park because I was so simpatico with the two white right. interviewers that I was right. sitting with in a comic book st- shop in downtown Toronto. Hmm. Right? Um, and so I don't know that a woman necessarily would have had uh, as much success, even on the face of it, walking into that situation. Right, right, right. But having said that, I mean, I think many programmers, myself included, um, suffer from imposter syndrome from time to time and when recruiters are looking for ninjas or the best uh it can really make it difficult for you to kind of even get in the door and want to apply 
Well, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> no, Mark, you're just wrong. Right. Uh, <laughs> Are you trying to be contrarian? That's that's Jaime's that's, thing. That's again. unlike me. <laughs> oh no, Mark is totally the contrarian here. <laughs> Have you not? So been on the other hand. If, if you are starting to look for someone, I, I mean, are you going to consciously say, oh, let's let's look for someone in the bottom third? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're never going to do that, right? you yeah. you, you got to start at the top, right? Yeah, now, in yeah. the back of your head, you might be saying, well, look, you know, we can't afford to hire the very best guy. Uh, and, you know, assuming that that very best guy even exists uh, or person, I shouldn't say guy. Uh and and we may know that you know this project isn't the most interesting or the most challenging, so we don't really want the you know the, the top tier person for this. You know, someone else might be fine, but we can't really go out and start saying that because who are we going to get if we start start with that posture, right? If we right. start saying, hey, we want sort of you know lower level people who are cheap, well, guess who you're going to get? <laughs> you, you, and so so you got to kind of start at the top and 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 negotiate down from there. I don't think anyone really seriously thinks that we have to find, we being the hiring company, has to find the absolute very best guy or very best person on the planet. Well, they can't afford the best guy, first of all. That's the reality. They can't afford it, right? Right, right. So, so, but, so, so it is, it goes back to, it's just, it's just language, you know, it's just sort of uh, setting the tone. Uh, You know, would you want to work for a place that's saying, you know, we don't really care about getting the best people. We just want to get someone in the door, a warm body to to sit in the seat and, you know, write some code. You know, would you want to work at that place? How does that make the job sound? Not very interesting. Well, nobody's nobody's going to use that language though, really, you know, like they're going to, they're, I think all I'm, all I would say is that let's just get away from being so extreme about it right and i think i think i'd be more comfortable and i think it would be more approachable to more people if the talk were more along the lines of we want a highly competent uh, Mm -hmm. results focused great communicator to come in and do this job you know and and that that doesn't speak to the one percent you know it speaks Mm -hmm. to say the 30 percent to be real you know, the, the 30% of developers out there who fit, say, that description. Right. You know, right. where even even a woman developer who who is suffering from acute imposter syndrome could say to herself, you know what? I am results-oriented. I am a good communicator. Right. I can do this job, and I'm going to apply because this person has set actual real expectations that I feel like I can fit. Right, right. Well, my point earlier, just just to interject here, was was wasn't about you know I was saying that we shouldn't we can't really talk about the women's perspective because we're not women is what I'm trying to say. I have, if you look on my Twitter page, I I put down feminist on there a couple of weeks ago because I got permission from some of the feminists out there to call myself that, um, and I am a feminist, but um, but I'm also not white, and, and and if I can you know be so bold as to say neither is Jaime. Right. And so, but, you know, that said, sometimes, you know, people take advantage of the fact that, that, you know, I'm an olive colored person in different ways. Um, I mean, have you ever, ever encountered any kind of bias from, because of your race? I don't think I've encountered it, at least not obviously so in text circles. Right. Um, Not, not personally, no, like if it was there, it wasn't, you know, made apparent to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have, and it's funny because I was just like, talking to another another brown person today on the phone, and and he, he asked me if I spoke Hindi, for instance, right? Which I don't, but you know that's that's an assumption based on my 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 last name, you know. Um, what seriously? Yeah, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure that I'm sure that happens, you know, from time to time, you know. And and I grew up in Toronto. I mean, I didn't go. I didn't. I arrived in Toronto when I was 15, and at that time, it wasn't cool to be. You know, of of uh, Indian or uh, persuasion in the city, right? So, I look at you and I think white guy. So yeah, I know, well, but the Indian, the Indian <laughs> guys look at me and think I'm white guy, and the white guys look at me and think I'm Indian or Italian or something. You know, whatever. I'll, I'll let you think whatever you want. I don't really care. Um, I'm over that. But <laughs> but but my point my point about my point about about, about entering biases into a conversation is, is um, you know I, I just want to be careful about you know positioning ourselves you know talking about things that we. We're not really equipped to talk about, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so the the, the one from Joel Spolsky is from way back in 2005. So this 
you know, oh. folks, this is not a new this is not a new issue by any means, right? <laughs> Somebody actually took the time to write about this nine years ago, mm. and um, it, it's still a problem, right? And, and in this particular article, takes sort of a a very engineering kind of approach to it, which is kind of interesting, where uh, Joel Spolsky really pokes holes in the argument of like, oh, well, we're hiring the top one percent. He's like, well that doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, and he points out how mathematically you could easily be quote unquote hiring the top 1%, but mm-hmm. that's because you have, you know, a hundred not so great applicants. And then you pick the best one of that. Right. 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 <laughs> Cause those are the only people who are willing to meet whatever your requirements are to live out in the middle of nowhere for nickels a day. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And I, I said earlier, uh, uh, Jeff Atwood, uh, crediting him with this piece. And that, that was my mistake. Tim, if you want to just clip that out, that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you were close, though, was the other person. Yeah, right? I know. The person well, Stack I, Overflow. I get them confused. <laughs> Sergey Brin, Larry Page. Uh, basically, same <laughs> dude. The Google guys. The Google Those guys. guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you can never mistake Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates, right? So, yep. That's true. Because um, one of them really loves his company. Um, <laughs> okay, where the hell was I? I'm looking for that link from uh, Aaron. Sorry. No, there isn't something. Oh, you mean oh, uh, the, the nine link. to five thing? So yes. yeah, okay, so that was on Twitter. Okay, yeah. yeah. So in the other, I guess uh, is this is a new topic. Or, this is or a new it, topic. It, yes, it's an ongoing topic. Yeah, well, but it's new to us. It's new to the more than just code podcast. There you go. And that has to do with a couple of posts. One brought in by Jaime, and that's from Marco Arnett, uh, Marco.org about uh, Twitter and the changes they're making there. And Aaron also contributed something about the war on developers. So why don't you guys take it away on that? You want to start, Jaime? Go ahead. Yeah, so from the the Twitter side, um, kind of recapping people, Twitter made huge changes that were very you know bad for client developers at the very least when Twitter repositioned itself ready to go into its IPO and, and, and really strict getting towards revenue and profitability and something new that they've done just really kind of continues that right so the the gist of it is that now um, they've significantly enhanced the search api i believe you can access just about every tweet that you've ever had not uh, just and about, unfortunately yes, every tweet oh, it, literally every tweet literally right? oh this is through, through the api not through the current apps that no not through the api only through their current apps their oh i see first party right. apps oh really mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah, because this this new Twitter search API is not available to third party clients. Oh, right, right, and that's the gist of what Marco's post is. Is like you know this is just like the next logical step in killing third party apps. So they already limited how many users you could possibly have through their token mechanism, and now they've created something that is a very clear class, you know, separation there. Where you know why would you even use anything other than the primary Twitter app? and have this inferior experience going mm-hmm. outside of that. Like it, they're very, very much funneling people towards use the, the Twitter app, use the app that we control. And that shows you all those wonderful ads and offers and so forth. Interesting. You know, you know it's funny. Cause I was actually thinking, I think about that from time to time. Cause I remember, I, I think it was last year when they had their anniversary, they rolled out your very first tweet and you could have a, a good chuckle at what you said the, on the first day. Um, but, and I've often thought, like I've had conversations with people, I was thinking today about 3D printers, and I know I had a conversation with, with Jonathan Penn um, about his printer, and I know I've talked to, um, anyway, but my, my point is that, that I wanted to go back and look for that conversation, and it's it's practically impossible to find something in Twitter in that sense, right, to go back through through and look for things. And that's one of my my, my beefs about, about Twitter and about the other social networking platform, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to give them any time at all. Attaboy. Um, they, uh, they, you know, they, they've crippled their, their tools so much that, that it's impossible to use, but it, were, it were seemed to be that way it was. And I thought that was by design. Like, you know, you want to make the experience quick and fast and whatever, so you limit the number of results that you can possibly go back and look for, right? Um, well, I think it's a but, good feature. It's definitely a great feature to have this yeah. now. So you can, what you can actually do, just to talk about the feature itself, if you like, mm-hmm. is um, I'm opening Twitter as we talk. Yeah, do it. Like, and it's on the website. So what you can do is search for particular terms. You can search for particular people, and you can also constrain the dates. So 
Uh, oh, so this is in the, the Twitter site, not necessarily the Twitter app. Correct. Well, or, unless, uh, I, unless I unless I update it or something, it, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely on the website, and that's where I, I believe it debuted. And then uh, it's going to be offered in their apps if it's not already, but it mm-hmm. is not going to be available to third party apps. Um, so the point is, like 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 Jaime was saying, literally able to search every tweet uh, in their servers, and I, I think that. Um, it, it didn't come out because they weren't able to do it until now. You know, it's it's a oh, huge yeah. feature. You know, like for sure. for them as an engineering challenge, very significant. And so this is kind of a big deal. But the fact that they're not making it available to third party clients, I think, is really the topic here that we should be talking about because uh, it sucks. And actually, did uh, I didn't notice it because I read this piece when Marco published it earlier this week. But um, did you look at the slug line on his URL? No. If you look at the URL, it's Twitter California Knife. Um, and <laughs> if, you, if you've if you listened to Marco talk, and I'm not sure if he did this on ATP or in his former podcast on 5x5, uh, which was called Build and Analyze, yes. Um, he described uh, Twitter uh, and their, their practice of working with developers as delivering a California knife in the back. And uh, as an East Coaster himself and as i am and as some of us are <laughs> but yeah, not all yeah. of us <laughs> yeah. hey, yeah, i'm kind of wondering what yeah. you mean by this <laughs> well, here, here's what he means by this and, and i yeah. i'm looking forward to your comment mark so mm-hmm. it, it, he's talking about the the california way of of talking nice everybody's buddies we're getting along we're just it's just a feature man it's just a website and then you turn around and they stick a knife in your back because really the uh, the needs of, of the business supersede anything else, and Twitter's got to make money, so they're going to cut out the app developers, and they're going to do whatever it takes to uh, increase their stock price. And Marco called that a California knife in the back. Hmm. And so, Interesting. Um, you know, and he, he described it in a way that uh, was, was just loaded with uh, subtext, obviously. <laughs> Um, And I I think what we should do is probably find the podcast that uh, he mentions that in. But, uh, Mark, what Mm -hmm. do you think of the California Knife? Well, Mark is an expatriate. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up on on the East Coast. I grew up up in uh, Massachusetts. So so I'm not a native Californian by any means. But, uh, yeah, there's there's certainly some degree of that out here for sure. But, you know, to, to say it's any worse than anywhere else... Uh, I, I think is is probably an exaggeration. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of people who will stick a knife in your back and on the East Coast. Um, maybe they'll oh, for sure. <laughs> maybe they'll be a, a little bit uh, louder about it than they are in California. I don't know, uh, but uh, but I, I can't see this being a, a, a California thing. I think that's just uh, some bias creeping in. I I'm sure you're right. Of course, um, I've pasted <laughs> in a link to this to our uh, to our Skype. Uh, the Build and Analyze episode from July 2nd of 2012, uh, where the title right. is California Knife in Your Back. And uh, so I'm sure that he mentions it in here somewhere. Yeah, Twitter's ominous threat to client developers is the little brief mention in the talk. So it looks like yeah. it's towards the end of, the, of that particular episode. Uh, and then you yeah. can hear what Marco has to say about a California knife in your back. Right. Um, okay. Now, but, of course, mm-hmm. it is true. It is true, having said all that, that that it is Twitter's right to do this, right? They they offer the service. They don't have to offer an API. You are absolutely um, right. And, and you, can, you could argue that, well, you know, part of their business strategy was to open it up to third-party developers to increase the size of the user base and the network. And now that it's pretty big... They don't need the third-party developers anymore, and and now they have to switch to a monetization strategy, uh, which which of course they have a better chance of doing if they control all access to it. So uh, you know, I don't know. It, was that a California knife for me saying that? I don't know. Uh, totally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I just want you off this podcast now. Right. <laughs> Shame on you. Well, right. let, let's put it this way. I mean, I think how how you fall on this. Well, debate, as a Twitter stockholder, I'm glad that they're they're doing everything to make my stock more valuable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but and as a Twitter is, user, if, how do you feel about it? Well, I'm not much of a Twitter user, so no, you're I, not. I don't know, but sure. but the truth is that if if Twitter doesn't make money. They don't exist, right? The server go, the service goes away, uh, so the third party developers have you know a whole bunch of nice apps that don't do anything. So, mm-hmm. so there's an argument that you know Twitter has to do whatever they have to do to to keep the service going. 
No, and I do agree to a certain extent that you're that you're they're within their rights to do what they want to do. Really, I mean, it's unfortunate that 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 they may think that they can can, can cut everything out. And, and again, like you know, the whole computer literacy argument, everything should be free and nobody should be making money from any of this stuff and we should all be starving and living on the street with a Tim Hortons cup in front of us. But, um, you know, I, th- I think they have the right to do what they want to do, really, at the end of the day. And and sometimes I'm actually surprised at how much we do get from, from companies to be able to access their stuff. But that said, it, it, there is an argument to be said that, that giving access to developers to, you know, to the APIs also further fosters their brand, right? True. You know, true, so. and that's why they did it, right? I mean, I remember the early days of Twitter. There was, I was even, I was paying attention, even though I wasn't so much using it. Yeah. Uh, the the earliest Twitter apps were pretty crappy, right? So, mm-hmm. so they pretty much left it to third party developers to come up with stuff that were pretty that were good. One and, can argue and the, if that had never happened, yeah. uh, there would be no Twitter, right? Without the third party developers. Well, it's worse than mm-hmm. that. I mean, the initial Twitter app was their website, which is right. un- It's unusable. Right, so that's why we had third-party developers building these apps, and Twitter was grateful for it because the service wouldn't yep. exist today if it weren't right. for those third-party applications. Well, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm using TweetDeck to to this. I mean, even though I know TweetDeck's owned by by Twitter now, but I prefer TweetDeck over their over their actual um, website. And so. I'm using TweetBot on my Mac and Twitterific on my phone, and it's great. I love them, but you know, I think the topic actually here that kind of extends our discussion today is this interview on 9to5Mac, which will appear in our show notes, where mm-hmm. uh, they interview Ged Mayhew, who is the lead designer, I guess, at Icon Factory, makers of Twitterific. And the last update that we had for Twitterific for the Mac was, what, two years ago? Twitterific 5? And mm-hmm. it seems that there's not going to be an update for the Mac. They're even toying with the idea of doing a Kickstarter campaign or some kind of crowdsource, uh, crowdfunding campaign to justify the development of Twitter Rific for the Mac because um, Twitter has this 100,000 client limit for any of its apps, um, or if you've more than that already by the time it's kicked in, double what your current token limit uh, was. So um, it, it puts us a, a hard finish on the amount of money that any developer can make and makes it very difficult for a developer to choose to get into the app ecosystem if you're a Twitter developer. See, hmm. now Mark says that, hey, this is fine. You know, it's Twitter's API. They can do with it what they want. And, you know, on principle, of course, I agree. Anybody can do that. But having said that, what what Twitter lacks is this decision-making process where they have all these executives who have been rolling in and out of the company changing things, tinkering with things, not having a clear direction, and being a little warm on developers, a little cold on developers. You never know what's going to happen next. See, to be effective, I think what Twitter needs to do is decide, we want third-party developers to build apps for us, and if that's the case, then provide a vibrant and fully accessible third-party ecosystem, or we are first-party only, and we don't want anybody using anything but our apps, and just shut down the API. Sure. And just close it off. Do one of the yeah, other. I mean, Don't in go the long run, ground. that's better for everyone, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, shut it down. Shut it down. No, no, no. Uh, well, <laughs> either make the make the decision to do one or the other. In yeah, the long don't, run, don't strangle people it, in their it, beds. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and I think we mentioned it before. You, you don't want to basically uh, what's the terminal? And now I can't remember what I was going to say. But uh, you don't want to degrade the experience for your users, or you know. And I think that's kind of what ends up happening is that you know, you for instance, you're using Twitterific and Tweetbot, and 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 if Twitter uh, itself limits the the functionality of that, eventually you're going to be you're going to lose face in Twitter. I mean, like why why would you continue to you know? If that's your favorite way of doing things, you know? Exactly. You know, one thing that I think is kind of interesting here is that it, uh, as a proponent of the mullet theory of software development, is it <laughs> a downside to that is that you are dependent on the API. And if it's a third-party API, one that you don't control and don't even pay for, yeah. um, like that's a business risk that you have to evaluate. I agree. Right? So so Twitterific ran, you know, ran pretty high. And I, I feel bad for them that now their business is 
not so great or or non-existent but that's definitely a risky run because it's they're 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 building on top of somebody else's ecosystem that's true and that's totally right. what we were talking about with with apple and, and the sapphire dudes last week or the week before i think as well is that, is that you know when you get in when you get involved with these things that, that are dependent on on uh, somebody supplying you with you know with uh with users if you will um, in the case of Apple, with Sapphire producers, it's, you know, being able to produce, Apple's going to give you 200 million phones to outfit with Sapphire Glass. You know, Twitter's going to give you umpteen million or billion people to, to you know, have access to and supply a service to, right? So, hmm. yeah, and I think yeah. part, and so to take that, that weird term that Marco uses, the California knife in the back, like, I think what it's really trying to get at is, Rather than being straightforward and, and or even being like like Apple, let's say, where Apple is not afraid to say this will not be in the App Store, right? And, and in some cases, they'll like make that decision after the fact. Say, oh, yeah, we don't want this in the App Store, and they'll just kill you off. Yeah. But at least they're very straightforward about it. Uh, we may not like what they're they're doing, but it's you're very clear once you've gotten to that case. In this case, Twitter has a technical means via their API keys to shut off any third party that doesn't follow their rules if they so chose to. That's true. I, That's I think true. that'd be a PR nightmare, right? That you've got this, you know, let's say they had like a million downloads of some third party client and, and then it goes dark one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's big news in front page of TechCrunch and, and The Verge saying, what the heck is going on? My favorite Twitter client just went dead. Twitter, how terrible are you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And instead they're trying to just sort of mold this environment where people you know, end users will decide, yeah, I'm not going to use Twitter Riffing anymore. It's not up to date. I'm going to have to use the main Twitter app. Well, and it's the same thing. I mean, Apple does the same thing. We don't have access to some some uh, technologies and frameworks that are in Apple that we would like to have advantage of. We can't write apps for, with Siri, for instance, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, and that, so that, that and, and we don't, you know, you know, go on and spout off at the mouth about uh, on Twitter or, or online, you know, blogging about the fact that Apple's not letting us have access to, to that, you know, the equivalent of, a, of a, a nerd with a blogging tool temper tantrum about the fact that we can't have access to Siri and other technologies like that, right? Um, interesting stuff. But I think there's a good reason for that. I mean, what you're talking about here is is Twitter, you know, having offered something and then pulling it back. That's true. That's true. Apple yeah. never this this us- happens all the time. And and just to just to put one final nail in the coffin of the, the California <laughs> knife, um, to make to make an analogy with with something actually that just happened. Very recently, uh, Wall Street does this kind of thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a stock that I follow. I won't say the name of it, but but they were a pretty high dividend paying stock for for a number of years, uh, and they've recently hit on some sort of harder times. But a month ago, they said the dividend is secure through at least 2016. Don't worry about it. So mm-hmm. the stock stayed pretty stable until just yesterday when they said, "Oh, by the way, we're getting rid of the dividend completely." Sorry. And of huh. course, the stock dropped twenty percent. So these are guys in you know New York or Wall Street, wherever they're based, um, not a California thing. Uh, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the point is that this happens all the time, and and I think Twitter is doing it in a nicer way than than other people do. Right. Well, that's right. that's the California part of the knife because it's a nice knife. Oh, okay. Betrayal. So it's not just a regular knife; it's a California. Yeah. Knife. So, like, dude, you know, oh. we can't use our API anymore, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. except for the API. Um, yeah, I got that. I figured that when I said it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. What was I thinking here? Oh, what, what I, I think is actually yeah, is, is most interesting about this whole Twitter move, uh, you know, even separate from the whole developer angle on it, is I wonder if this is going to affect user behavior at all. If you now know that everything you ever put out on Twitter, I mean, you sort of know now that you put something out there and, yeah, people can see it. But it it has a feel of being ephemeral, right? It sort of feels like it's not really around forever, and you know, you only have a limited number of followers, so you know, not every, not everyone on the planet's going to see this thing. Even mm-hmm. though that's really not necessarily true, but that's the way it feels to most people, I think. Right. Right. Uh, now that everything is going to be searchable, is this going to change the way that people perceive Twitter, and is it going to change their behavior? I wonder, now, I, I wonder. I wonder about that too, because because I, I see a lot of stuff that I see people post on Twitter, and I think to myself, you know, one day you're going to apply for a job, and some some future employer is going to go onto Twitter and see what you said and, and right. read through your stuff. I mean, we've heard about that on on the other social networking program that we're, platform that we're not going to name. 
because they don't need to serve any time. Um, but, you know, you see that on, on LinkedIn and, and Google Plus and, you know, where people have put inappropriate things up and then it comes back to bite them later on. Um, and yeah, I mean, I kind of sort of wondered about that. I actually heard some uh, 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 on a podcast once um, somebody had said that everything ends up in the Library of Congress. Is that true? Is that or is that just something somebody was saying? Yeah, that does you ring know? a bell, actually. I seem to recall uh, something about the Twitter archive going into the Library of Congress. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, because, I mean, like I said before, last year when they had their anniversary, I'm not sure if it was the 5th or 10th or whatever, um, and you could go back and look at your very first tweet, you know, or first tweets and see what you what you said. Um, obviously, that meant that, that, you know, it's not like they're deleting, you know, records going back so far. Um and I, from a from a practicality point of view, I could see what oh, business insider here we go. Sorry, <laughs> it was the first hit. <laughs> you know, I actually I actually posted something about business insider, but uh, which we decided not to talk about today, which I think is funny. But anyway, um, uh, it's your favorite favorite Aaron's favorite website. I'm sure he's a stockholder in Business Insider. That's what it what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a ticket. That's a ticket. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, no. So, yeah. So, I mean, like the reality is, is that, you know, as they say, everything you put out there and, and I do this all the time. I mean, like, you know, the other day or last week, somebody posted something on, um, I want to say Google or something like that. And they posted up this, oh yeah, it was a, a post about what Google knows about you. And there were six or seven leaks. I mean, five of them were useless, useful. And the third one was repetitive or the last one was repetitive, but, um, and Google took it down, right? And uh, or had it taken down, or it was taken down off some site. Oh, the Medium—that's what it was. It was on the Medium. Somebody posted something on the Medium. I'm not sure who owns the Medium, Damn. and it got and it got taken down. And and so you know, me being the internet guy that I've been for so long, I went to the web archive, and sure enough, there it was. So I grabbed it and reposted it on my site that I have control over. Hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. but but that said, everything you've ever done—I mean, like you know. I can go back and look at versions of my websites going back to like 2000 because they're on the web archive, right? So I don't think anything you put on the web is necessarily going to go away, right? Nothing yeah. goes away. Yeah. So it, it, until until you want to find something that you you can bear, you sort of remember and you try to do a hunt for it and try to find that one article, that one's gone away. <laughs> if, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. It's articles. It's in yeah. the corner with the other sock is where it is. Right. right. <laughs> Heisen articles. I love that. Mm-hmm. Heisen article. Yeah. Like, like a Heisenberg Heisenberg yeah. principle. Yeah. Yeah. You observe it. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was going to look at that link that you just Anyway, so um, are we, have we Twittered this to death? I think we have. All yeah. right. We'll come back to this one, I'm sure, in the future. Um, this is our, our, our ode to Interstellar, the movie. We'll come back to it in the future. Um, oh, my goodness. I spelled this guy's name wrong on the, on the, on the notes. Um, I wanted to bring up a, a, sort of a follow-up on, on WatchKit that we were talking about the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this site, but a uh, friend of the show, Brian Gillum, has put up put together a website called WatchKit, WatchKitResources.com where he's collecting all the sort of bits and pieces that people will would like to know or need to know if they want to do any WatchKit development at all. Have you guys done anything with WatchKit at all in the last week or so? Just no? playing a bit yeah. with Xcode, but not... Not as yeah. much as Brian has, and he posted something today actually, which was really cool yeah. looking. Yeah, um, looks like something hockey related, uh, which you know is not a big surprise given that he's done some hockey related development work in his day mm-hmm. job. So, uh, looks like a little bit of um, glance action, looking at hockey scores, and there's big logos, and it looks really sharp. And he's just saying that he's playing with that sort of thing. So, huh. uh, definitely more than I've been doing though. Right. Right. Does he work down at that uh, sports type? No, uh, he, he works for company? the working group. Oh, the working group, right? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that before. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, I just noticed that I came back to the page just now, and there's even more stuff. So yeah, it's a it's a living living document. This well, yeah. WatchKit resources. You know, and it's it's great how some developers, you know, and I think of Ashfero like this as well when he jumped mm-hmm. all over Swift, right? And he's, yeah. you know, he said, "I'm going to become an expert in this, and I'm going to become recognized as such." Sure. Yep. And I think Brian's making a similar play, you know, because he's ah. a very senior developer and uh, he should 
you know, grab hold of a new technology and make it his own, really, and uh, mm-hmm. bully for him. I think this uh, this is a great website too. So, well, I, I'm just actually, yeah, I haven't looked at it in a couple of days, and it, it's he's got quite a bit of stuff on there now. So everybody should go check out, you know, WatchKitResources.com. That's what I have to say about that. So I'm looking at it now, and, and interestingly enough, there's something that I that I want to bring back, relate back to the first topic that we talked about. Uh, there's a video which looks like it's probably you know it's it's a it's a joke it's a funny video but but it's the video about uh, how to how to make a freaking Apple Watch app right oh yeah and and the banner at the top is what I'm what I'm looking at right now it says no programming experience required to start <laughs> yeah. and and the reason I bring that up is how many times you see things like that everywhere right everybody wants to become an iOS developer without knowing how to program. Right, right, right. You see this all over the place. This is why companies and recruiters have to look for the quote the best because there's so many people out there who you know they they downloaded a couple of tutorials and and went through them and then they start applying for jobs. Right, right. Hmm. So it's it's unfortunate for the rest of us uh, because it it you know it, it you know it muddies the waters. But but you know looking at it from the from the company's point of view, you got to find a way to get through all of those all these people who just completely aren't qualified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Just no, that's a good point. It's a good point. point. It's a good point. And it, 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 uh, it does. That's what I was sort of saying before is, you know, when, when you're, when you're the person hiring and you're looking at that stack of resumes, you get like a good 99% of them are probably, you know, just people who walked by the Apple store and looked and glanced over and saw an iPad and all of a sudden they want to be an iPad, you know, developer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I think I saw this. I don't want to give this guy any more time than he deserves, but maybe maybe this will be his moment in the sun. Uh, but I think this Nick Walter guy put up a, um, another link like this where he was offering a course on iOS development, I thought, or maybe it was on the watch kit. He was talking about this Kickstarter campaign about raising money to, to uh, teach you how to do this. I think he did a course on, what's that um, website with the courses? Oh, man. Hmm. It'll come back to me. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's our, our buddy uh, Brian Gillum and his WatchKit resources. Um, all right, so I guess we can wrap it up for today, and let's we'll do it as we do it every week. We'll go around the table and see if anybody has any picks. And I'm going to go to Jaime first. Do you have any picks, Jaime? Yeah, and wow, I feel so much pressure now because there's a little bit of controversy over here where, where, where many folks wanted this as their pick, but it's mine because I put it in the list first. <laughs> Damn you, Lopez! <laughs> Damn you, the, the irony Lopez. is I, I heard about this from uh, from a Canadian, so <laughs> it takes a little longer to get over here and on the West Coast. We're the best coast. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> th- this is a game called Crossy Road. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of making a pun on, you know, why did the chicken cross the road kind of joke. Yeah, And it's a um, it's a really nifty game that has not only an interesting art style, it's using voxels, the, uh, the 3d pixel, right. Volume and pixel, mm-hmm. um, notion. And it's just like the most beautiful update I've ever seen to Frogger, which is basically <laughs> what it is. You're, you're, you're trying to cross the road. You're trying to get across the river. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's feels so intuitive to just tap, 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 to move forward, swipe, swipe left, right up and down to to move backwards Mm -hmm. and it's a uh it's a freemium game but it really does freemium right in Mm -hmm. that um everything that you get uh, or i should say everything that you pay for is not something that impacts your ability to play the game per se right it's not like oh well you need to pay for 500 smurf berries or you can grind like a crazy person no this one is just like hey you want to play as a lamb you want to play as a mad wizard? Fantastic. You can pay us 99 cents for those. Or they're actually pretty generous in my my take. I've gotten quite a few freebies just from playing the game and collecting the coins. And they give you, like I think, time-based gifts. Yep. And they have a nice little sort of vending machine type of thing or, or prize machine sort of feel. So it's just a really great tight experience that, that is fantastic. I recommend mm. it. Hmm. It's, it's one of those great yeah. games, you know, like I, I definitely wanted to pick this too. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's great because uh, in, in the spirit of the best iOS games, it's super quick to go get in and out. You know, it's one of those things you're standing in line at the grocery store, for example, and you could literally whip this out and play it for 30 seconds and die like three times. 
Um, sort of like uh, Flappy Bird in that way. Uh, it, it, I think it shares a lot of the uh, impulse play mechanic of Flappy Bird, but it's it's a much better quality game. Um, what's your mm-hmm. high score, Jaime, right now? Do you, do you, like, I, thereabouts. Have you hit 100? I think I might have crossed 100. I'm not sure. I'll I double check that. I haven't gotten to 100. I got to 97 or something. But um, have, have you crossed the road yet? Yeah, there's infinite road, baby. Uh, it is... And it's just, it's a great quality game with uh, a lot of surprises. Uh, it's just hard enough to keep you interested. Um, and it's free. I mean, what the hell? Why aren't you playing it right now? Well, you know, I did, I did look at it actually earlier today when, when or actually looked at, I looked at it when the Jaime posted it. So let me just see if this, I'm trying to upload a picture to you guys, but it doesn't yeah. seem to be going. No, I got it. You got it? Yeah, yeah I'm just got there. I'm looking right now. I did not cross 100. 98. I, man. Quick, I better download one. it and beat him. Yeah. Just cheating people at the top. I'm looking at you, Mister Nine Thousand Nine Hundred Ninety Nine. There's always you know what that like is. That. You know what that is. It's because the the guy who wrote the the uh, high score table didn't protect it. Right. Yep. Rule number one: You're gonna have a high score table. Hey, everybody listening to the podcast, if you're gonna have a high score table in your freaking app, protect it. Are you so, so you're saying that people have hacked it and have put in themselves with a maximum score? Sure, and then you just sure. launch the app again, and, and you're the top guy. Ah, so is that- most common most common mistake is is using NS user defaults to store someone's high score. Yeah, which is I mean everybody knows uh, how to hack that now. Duh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? So they access the <laughs> NS user defaults, they update their own score, just and then, whatever score you want, and, and then, then it goes back up time. to the cloud. Yeah. Yeah, Storing that stuff client is side no is just bad honor. news, people. If you put it on the web server that you control, yeah, no kidding, it works like magic. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> iCloud, uh, what is it? Uh, key value store. That's a good way to Ah, tisk tisk tisk. Yeah, that's sad. Tisk. Okay, so uh, Aaron, do you uh, you have a pick? Don't you? Well, I I wanted to come in with you know Ferrosi Road, but you know um, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit just a little bit because uh, as we discussed at the beginning of the show or before we recorded that we should probably talk about this in more detail in a few weeks but which uh, we will which we will uh i'm talking now about test flight uh the beta test flight program that apple is now running and Mm -hmm. i had an opportunity to get started with it tonight uh or early this afternoon rather and it looks very interesting, but it's got a little, uh, a bit of glitchiness attached to it that I have not yet resolved. Um, so I'm kind of, I just want to plant a seed right now that I've started using it. Mark is going to get deep into it uh, pretty soon. To, yeah. And yeah. and so uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to kind of talk about how it works and doesn't work in some <laughs> cases um, because uh, I've run into some issues. But um, from... I put out a little question tonight on Twitter about the review time. Yeah, as it happens, if you want to have your app available for public review, um, like with public testers, you have to have oh. your app reviewed first. Um, mm. And it's a it's an app review light process. So you put it in for uh, review, and it, by the, by what I'm hearing from people on Twitter since I asked this afternoon, uh, it looks to be less than 24 hours to get your app reviewed. And then right. any future review, like if you do an update and post it back, doesn't have to be reviewed unless it's a major update. And they tell that by your checking a checkbox. So uh, pretty pretty lightweight uh, review process once you're initially through it. So and that was that was uh, that was if you want people outside of uh, the developer developer community. If you want to just have developers test it, is is it faster or no? Um, so the point is that like this is going to replace the existing uh, test flight. Yeah, yeah, test flight is going to replace the existing system that we have for letting people use uh, your apps prior to release. Okay, so mm-hmm. the, yeah. the the idea is that you're not having to uh, update provisioning profiles and farm them out. Oh right, right. That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah. so so yeah. now with the with the test flight uh, beta process that Apple has, you can mm-hmm. um, have both internal and external testers. If you want external testers, that is people who are not part of your development program, then you have to have your app approved. Okay. Right. So, right. and I actually think I'm actually okay with that because it, although it's a it's a little bit of a pain for the developer, it actually prevents some real potentially bad things happening. I mean, if you, if you're just sending anyone with an email a you know, a beta version of your app, then who knows what you're sticking in there. 
right? It's true. If it's not if it's not approved, it could be malware. It could be exactly, anything. Yeah. Yep. So and people, you know, people are they get an email saying, "Hey, you want to try out this app? Sure, why not?" And you know, it's it's just protecting against lots of potential badness. So this means we get more than a hundred testers. Is that right? Too uh, up to a thousand. Yeah, you have actually. up to a thousand now. Oh, I see. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, because I mean, I've been using Hockey App, and and I use TestFlight.com to test with my testers. But like you right. say, I have to collect their their um, UDIDs, submit them to Apple, add them to my team, and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, those with, days are going to be over as soon as yeah, it starts working yeah. properly. I, I use both <laughs> as well. I use both as well, and and I have to say, I mean, it, it's a it's a real compelling case to use TestFlight instead of Hockey. Hockey's really limited by. The, uh, the 100 users, unfortunately. That's true. Well, I, yeah, and, and, and I mean, TestFlight is free, generally speaking, and, and Hockey App's a few bucks, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, hmm. yeah, I know that Ryan Ryan Renna posted some answers back to you. Um, I met him at uh, WWDC. He's from Toronto. Oh, okay, I see him. He's saying yeah. that it's been less than, it's usually less than 24 hours to get review. Yeah, he he's, I met him at, uh, he might have seen us bantering back and forth, maybe listen to the show, who knows? But, um, uh, yeah, no, actually he does, because he, he did a review for us on, on the iTunes Canada site, now that I think about it. Well, he's obviously um, as intelligent as he is handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show, Ryan Renna. This, this is me licking my finger and making a stroke in the air for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I think friend of the show, MPH, uh, Mark, forgotten his last name, uh, over at um, Flexol. Flixel. He also, yeah, he also posted something earlier. He posted a question about the same thing, and I was waiting to see what, what if anybody answered him, but I, I didn't catch whether somebody resp- replied, replied to him about the time it takes. But my experience has been it's it's been slower to get apps sub- through submission, at least even to the point where you can actually go in and you know you upload the app. It takes a lot longer now to before it shows up that you can actually then you know submit it even to Apple for approval for some reason. So. Well, my pick for the week is uh, an app that I actually just found it about today called Screeny. And I don't know if it's a, just a minor annoyance that, um, and it has to do with the way you manage your photos on, on your um, devices. But Screeny is specifically for screenshots. You know, as developers, we probably take a ton of screenshots on our devices when we're testing our apps, you know, either either for just testing things out and being able to share them with other people or even for submitting them to, as screenshots to the App Store. But you end up with thousands or hundreds, in my case, of uh, screenshots on your phone. And this app allows you to go through and it basically creates a subset. I think it's a new feature in iOS 8 that creates a subset of your photo gallery that just shows you screenshots that are taken. I guess there's some way that they're named or identified in the device as a screenshot. And you can go through and, and uh, quickly delete them and re- you know review them and choose which ones you want to call. And uh, you know one of the one of the people that uh, posted the the link on Twitter today about that said he was able to save you know several megabytes of space or on his device. So that's kind of screeny. And that's the other, cool. this looks like something I might actually use. This looks cool. <laughs> I'm actually buying it right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm ninety nine cents for myself. That, yeah, speaking of ninety nine cents too. Um, um, as you may not know, or as you may know, the Red Campaign uh, Combating AIDS uh, just, I guess, launched last week. And Monument Valley, which I talked about last week, um, has added an extra chapter to their story um, called Ida's Red Dream. And it's 99 cents if you if you didn't buy if you buy the app today on um, like from the 24th to December sometime, you get it during the campaign. You get the the uh, level for free, but or the chapter for free. But uh, if you uh, it's ninety nine cents otherwise, so it's uh, it's a quick, a quick and easy add on to there, and it also supports AIDS. Um, the other thing I want to mention too, as sort of a sub pick, is um, is and we were talking about this before the show a little bit, and um, maybe pick up may pick up something from there. But um, Ray Wonderlick's website um, has updated their iOS six by tutorials third edition. Um, and we were talking about this being sort of an unfortunate name for a book because it's not actually about iOS six specifically. Um, they initially published on iOS 5, on iOS 6 by tutorials, and iOS 7 by tutorials, and of course iOS 8 and Swift by tutorials. And the idea is, you know, if you want to learn these uh, technologies and the new th- new features that are available in iOS, you know, as a, as a developer who's trying to learn how to do this stuff, um, these are great books to start with. And what they've done here in this third edition um, is the developers, uh, there's a, out of the 100 uh, people that belong to the Ray Runderlich team, um, 
a bunch of them have taken on the task of updating the tutorials that uh, covered in the iOS 6 by tutorials book for iOS 8 and um, Xcode 6. So that means so they've added in things about you know size classes and auto layout and, and new storyboard features and, and memory management and stuff like that that may or may not have been available throughout the different versions. So I mean there's chapters in there like modern Objective C, which is kind of an important thing that a lot of developers should look at. There's uh, chapters on auto layout, a couple of chapters on uh, UI collection view. Uh, Passbook, which is, I, th I don't think they've covered Passbook in any other uh, other editions, and Passbook is still something that's coming up, and I think it's more important now that Apple Pay uses Passbook, doesn't it, guys? Yes, it does. Yes, yeah. it does. So, pa and so learning Passbook is, is kind of an important thing. Uh, of course, they cover off in-app purchases, uh, social networking, uh, creating challenges in game kit, state preservation, which is an interesting one. Um, using core image as an introduction to map kit and an introduction to event kit and, and of course storyboards but actually where i got most out of today was when i because i didn't actually buy this book when when i was first going through uh the stuff on ray rindelick's site um there's the last chapter is on info p list secrets which are info p list for those who don't know is is how you manage all the sort of uh, criteria around how your app behaves and and things like that and um Matt Galloway, I think, went through and, uh, and wrote up a really uh, intensive document on on all the little bits and pieces uh, in InfoPList. If you want to go beyond just you know clicking on the general and you know build classes templates um, and get down to the nitty gritty, you can see what the actual keys are, and it's quite a quite a good uh, good covering off. I mean, having taught iOS to other people, you know, you want to you want to introduce. They always ask you what's a good book to get started on, and and the problem with a lot of books, you know, especially in print or even PDF, is is the author writes them and then they disappear into the void and get a you know get a better job or something, and they never come back and revisit their wraps. I mean, Big Nerd Ranch does it by you know they they have a couple of books that they update um, as they go forward. Um, you know, their iOS uh, programming book has just been updated, um, and I'm looking forward to their if they're going to do a Swift book, but. Um, what I like about Ray Windelick's site is that once you've bought the book, you get the free updates as you, as uh, technology moves forward and Apple introduces new headaches for developers to deal with. Anyway, so that pretty much is my picks. Um, uh, so Mark will be talking about test flight coming forward in future. Yeah, in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I guess that's it. And uh, just before we wrap it up, um, I just want to mention that we're not going to be recording a show on December the 3rd, um, as we have a couple of conflicts coming up. Um, so we'll see you guys on December 10th for the next uh, next uh, uh, episode. And so everybody have a happy Thanksgiving, those of you who are eating turkey tomorrow. And, um, yeah, that's about it. If you follow us on Twitter, you know, it's at MTJC underscore podcast. And you can always leave a comment at the site. And, Aaron, how can people get a hold of you? On Twitter, at Aaron Bay. At Aaron Bay. And, Jaime, how can people get a hold of you? At Dev of the Hair and Dev of the Hair.com. And, Mark, how about you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right, so I guess we'll wrap it up there. And uh, I've added some resources to the website, so please take a look at our website, MT jc.fm and have a look at some of the things that are there. We've got some links to some of the things we talked about. And of course, we'll put show notes up there. Um, and there's a survey. If you could fill that out, that would be great. Uh, and so for now, we'll all say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find show notes and a summary of each episode. We list links to items that we talk about and links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave us a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also retweet our tweets about the show. Once again, our the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. And uh, that's it. Thanks a lot.
good thing we're recording, so you can like take this information you're just saying, yeah, and and rehash and, it. No, just cut and paste. Oh, okay. What what was your intention of putting it on there then? I mean, just when I find interesting links, I put them on the list. <laughs> <laughs> because he's a well, keener. <laughs> I'm glad, glad we have some. Okay, and then uh, what about the Apple could switch search provider? That's about the rumor of them switching to something other than Google, right? Uh, because the uh, their agreement expires soon, right? Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. then and then they shock everyone by switching to DuckDuckGo. <laughs> Which would be great, really. Yeah. Yeah, or Wolfram Alpha or something like that. Wolfram Alpha. Wolfram Alpha. How about Ask Jeeves? Ask Jeeves. Or Lycos. That one um, could wait because it's not exactly a timely thing. And it okay. seems like it works really well whenever we do the follow-up to a previous show about the mullet theory and the right way of doing things. <laughs> Is that the official right way? Are we trademarking that name now? Sure. <laughs> U.S. trademark, at least. <laughs> Red, Red just pad off, right? 